Hey there, welcome and back, America. Und guten Morgen. What the hell is this Sephora shit? Um, okay. Must see top Obama aid on exploding Trump DeSantis feud. Show you how to elevate your makeup game using one of these <laughs> moisturizers. So Ula Henriksen. Down, 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 down. Macho Rachel Maddow highlights. Putting a book has never been easier. Marketing a book has never been more difficult. If you're thinking about publishing a book, joining us now live is Senator Chuck Schumer. Senator, thank you so much for uh, making time to be here tonight, sir. Congratulations. Yeah, it was good at that restaurant, you know. People got on their emails that we had won, and the whole restaurant broke out in cheers. It was just wonderful. Oh, wow. It was That's a great a, moment. I hope you, you left a, 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 a big tip. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a big tip. <laughs> um, so let me get your response tonight to this new news that we've just had within the last half an hour or so, 45 minutes. Um, out of Arizona, NBC News is now projecting that the Democratic candidate, Katie Hobbs, has defeated uh, Republican Kerry Lake in that state. Well, it's first great news, obviously. Kerry Lake was a very dangerous person. She's very smooth talking, but very, very dangerous and had hard right views. And if she is defeated in a state like Arizona, which is a purple state, it should send another message, another shockwave through the Republican Party. That when you embrace this MAGA Republican right-wing extremism, you lose. Candidate after candidate um, had lost. Just about every one of the extreme people who wanted to undo the next election, who denied this mm -hmm. election, all lost. Exactly. And as, as I've said, I hope this is a lesson to the mainstream Republicans. Now, we don't agree with the mainstream Republicans on so many different things, but it, I hope it's a lesson to them that if they embrace this MAGA Republican Trumpism, Madness. they're going to lose. The American people, this is one great thing, Rachel. A lot of people doubted the fidelity of democracy. And with reason, we saw the election deniers. When, you deny, when you're a political party that denies an election, that's the beginning of autocracy. The end of democracy. So they saw these election deniers. They saw the violence on January 6th. They saw much other threats, threats of violence, even against innocent poll workers who were just trying to do their job. And they said democracy's eroding. And the American, but um, democracy's roots, they may be quiet, but they run deep. And the American people, not just liberal Democrats, but moderates and even conservatives said, this MAGA Republican Party is against everything that democracy is all about. I can't vote for them. And I predicted this in August. I said there was going to be about 10 to 15 percent of the electorate who, is going to, who normally might vote Republican, who is going to not vote for them because of this embrace of MAGA. So my hope, my plea really, to the non-MAGA Republicans in the Senate is work with us. We will be willing to compromise because the main one of the, se the second reason we have one is we got real things done. We took on big oil and got the biggest climate bill uh, ever done. We took on pharma and finally put a limit on prescription drug prices. We took on the NRA and actually passed some good gun legislation. We did, the, the people saw two things. They saw us fighting for things they cared.
and they saw the Republicans at the MAGA extreme. And they put those two things together with the fine, fine candidates we ran, who were very decent, honorable, and very successful, effective people. And that clinched the election for us. This will happen again if the Republicans continue to embrace MAGA. So the warning, the, the clarion call to the non-MAGA Republicans is work with us. And people say, well, they won't. Well, one other point. Of the six major bills we passed in June and July and August, which woke America up that we could do things, five were bipartisan. The big one, IRA, was not because Republicans wouldn't do anything on crime. It wouldn't go after pharma. But things like the gun bill, uh, the chips bill, which brought American jobs back here and said we're not going to let China take over our, uh, or any other country, take over our chip fab industry. The bill that said the Veterans Administration had to deal with those veterans who were exposed to the burn pits. All of those and many other things passed in a bipartisan way. And so I'm hopeful, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, as you know me well, that they're going to do that. They're going to say that path doesn't work. We don't need every Republican to do it. We don't even need half. We just need a group that we can work with. And we're willing to meet them part of the way. We're going to give up our principles, but meet them part of the way to get more things done for the American people. Let me ask about one of these that's going to come up fairly quick. I understand that you today filed cloture on a bill to codify marriage equality, to make it federal law that same-sex couples uh, have the right to marry. I mean, clearly you are worried that the conservative majority on the Supreme Court is going to, you know, is basically coming for Strike people's marriages. Down. We're going to try to take away that right. Um, what is your expectation in terms of um, moving closer on this today? There will be the first votes on Wednesday. Are you expecting Republicans to join Democrats in supporting yeah. this? Our two lead Republicans on this, I asked two people to be our leaders on this, Tammy Baldwin and Kirsten Sinema. And they came back when, when, when it first came that in the House, 30 Republicans voted for marriage equality, much to our surprise and delight. Put it right on the floor, some people said. Well, Sinema and um, uh, Baldwin, our leads on this, said to us, we're not going to get the votes if you do it now, but we're quite certain that if you do it after the election, we will get it done. And, you know, my job is to get things done. Get things done. I know that some people said, just make it an issue. Show where the Republicans are. But the American people, what we need to do to Trump. LGBTQ plus the people who want the right to marry. By the way, personal to me. I have a daughter who has a beautiful wife and they're expecting a baby in a few months. Uh, isn't that great? Um, uh, uh, people want us to get things done. People want us to get things done. And... Uh, it, I'm optimistic, based on what I know and what our two lead senators know, that we will get the votes to get this done. And it will be, it'll say to that Supreme Court, just like we want to say to them, get your hands off women's bodies, we want to say, figuratively, of course, uh, we want to say to them, let people marry who they love, period. Your majority will either be 50-50 uh, with Vice President Harris as a tiebreaker, or, if it, or it will be 51-49, depending on what happens with Senator Warnock's runoff election uh, in Georgia on December 6th. Can you explain um, to me and to our audience what the practical difference is in terms of how the Senate runs? I mean, obviously, you've been at 50-50 these past couple of years. It required a power-sharing agreement with the Republicans. How different would the Senate be? How different would your life be? How different would your ambitions be if it was 51-49 instead of 50-50? It's, it's not 1% difference. It's very different for the better. For one thing, any time a judge or a nominee to the administration, we've had a lot of good progressive nominees, gets a vote out of committee that's, you know, 10-10, that's tied, 
delays things for a week. You have to go to the floor, you have to get the time, and you have to bring Kamala Harris there and do what's called a motion to discharge out of committee. If we have 51, there'll be no more motions to discharge. It will mean appointees and judges will get appointed much more quickly. And you know, we've had a great record with judges. We've set the record as of today, actually, 83 new judges, two-thirds women. Uh, half people Yay. of color and progressive judges, not just partners in law firms and prosecutors, but legal aid attorneys and immigration lawyers and consumer advocates, things like that. So that'll make that a lot easier. The second thing it does is you can get different bills out of committee much more quickly. Third, we can have subpoena power. Uh, with 50-50, you can't really get subpoena power. So it means it's a lot easier to get things done. And one other thing, when you have 50 senators, and obviously any one senator can say, I'm not voting for it unless I get this, this, or this. But it's 51, it's harder to do. So you put all that together, plus that extra seat helps us in 2024 keep the majority. I'm always trying to think ahead. It's a, it's a world of difference. And Raphael Warnock is just a great person. He's been a great senator for Georgia. Uh, um, service has been his motto, whether as a pre, as a uh, minister, head of the Ebenezer Baptist Church, as a senator, he's the person who took the lead on getting insulin in Medicare only to cost thirty five dollars instead of the six seven eight hundred dollars. He's one of the people who's taken the lead so that disadvantaged farmers in Georgia, poor farmers, will get some help they have been uh, discriminated against in the past. He's one of the people who took the lead on expanding the ACA so more people got health care and it was cheaper. Issues that really matter to people Warnock has already produced. So if I were a Georgian, and this race is going to be decided only by Georgians, I'd say, this guy produces for me. It's not a lot of rhetoric and bombast. It's serious stuff. Senator Schirmer, one, one last question for you. That The point that you just made a moment ago about how one any one senator, when it's 50-50, can stand up and decide they're going to... Uh, throw a wrench in the works. You know, if it's not what I want exactly, then I'm going to stop everything. Um, this is a little bit delicate to say, um, but we all know that it was really Senator Sinema, who you just mentioned a moment ago for her leadership on the uh, marriage equality bill, um, and also Senator Manchin in West Virginia, who were the ones who were kind of throwing the wrench in the works more often than anybody else. Are you 100% sure that neither of them is considering switching to the Republican Party so they could Come be the store once again in an e even bigger way so that they could sort of monkey-wrench this whole process? Well, they look, they had very difficult positions. I disagreed with them rather strongly in many ways, but they kept being Democrats. It would have been easy for them to do it, you know, in the past. Uh, they have strong beliefs, different ways. Senator Sinema is passionate on LGBTQ rights. Senator Sinema is leading pro-choice. She wouldn't find much of a home in the Republican Party there, I suppose. Senator Manchin has been very progressive on certain issues as well, uh, including prescription drugs. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't. I think they they differ from us in many ways, but I don't think either of them would be comfortable in the Republican. It's a no-brainer, man. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who I should mention was himself just reelected and who also is about to start another term as Majority Leader in the United States Senate. Sir, it's an honor to have you with us tonight. Thank you so much and congratulations. Pleasure again. to meet you, Rachel. Good to be with you. Thank you. Straight to it. Georgia is officially in a runoff. My opponent, Herschel Walker, has raised over $30 million to be with you. Thank you. Uh, right now, according to NBC's projection, Republicans could get say 219 seats 
um, which would give them a very, very, very tiny majority. I should tell you that projection uh, has a plus or, excuse me, 220 seats is the projection right now. has a margin of error, though, of plus or minus four seats. And so even if they do get control, it's going to be a very, 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 very slim majority. Yeah, well. uh, we've seen a few tiny House majorities in history. Washington Post actually did a good reminder today of when we have had really, really, really wafer-thin majorities in the House in the past and what the consequences have been. Uh, one of those rare instances was right as the U.S. Uh, entered World War I. Uh, another one was right around the events of 9-11. In both of those cases, big, world-changing world events ended up sort of outpacing what was otherwise expected to be total partisan gridlock. Um, but there's other cases where partisan gridlock ended up being what held the day. And that can be a very consequential thing, too. In the spring and summer of 1932, we've talked about this a few other times on the show, um, tens of thousands of U.S. veterans, World War I veterans, marched down Pennsylvania Avenue, um, and they set up camps outside the U.S. Capitol in Washington. It, of course, was the Great Depression. The veterans came to D.C. to demand bonuses that they were due. The government had promised them bonuses for their active duty service, and they hadn't paid them out. And so the veterans came to Washington to get their money. They called themselves the Bonus Army. <laughs> it ended horribly. When the veterans refused to leave, President Herbert Hoover called in the U.S. military and sicked the military on them to throw the veterans out. Oh, of my God. Now, how did it get to that point, to that act of desperation by the veterans and that monstrous decision that by President fucking horrible. the military on them? Hi, baby. Well, it was gridlock. Congress had debated the awarding of those bonuses for years. There was some congressional support for them. Republicans at the time were opposed to paying the bonuses. They had a one-seat majority in the Senate. That was enough to bottle it up in the Senate. The House had a Democratic majority, but it was a really small one. It was a 219 to 212 majority in the House. Too small of a majority for the Democrats to be able to get things done there either. That's the sort of thing that can happen with a very, very slim majority in Congress, particularly if you've got a slim majority in both houses. And unless you've got some sort of major world event that unites political enemies, partisanship can very easily block even very important stuff when majorities are that thin in Washington. There's been a lot of discussion about what it would take for Republicans Hi, to be able to pass legislation in a very narrow majority in the Hi, House. Baby. I think in real politics today, in 2022, looking at the House Republicans and what they want to do, I don't think anybody expects them to actually have real legislation that they want and expect to pass. I mean, even if they did have goals for legislation, they've been quiet about them thus far. They didn't run on those goals. Hi, and they're not going to want to pass anything that the Democratic-controlled Senate would vote for anyway, let alone something that would be signed into law by Joe Biden. What I think that means for a wafer-thin Republican House majority, in practical terms, in all likelihood, it means that we will see them pass nothing in terms of legislation. The consequence of them having a majority, even a one-seat majority, is that they will control the oh, committees, and they will therefore control subpoena power, and they will therefore be able to turn themselves into an investigation machine, a scandal-generating body of government, where they investigate everything Joe Biden has ever done, thought, eaten, drank, or gestured at in his entire life. That is going to be the consequence of the House going to the Republicans, if in fact that is the way it goes. A narrow majority is a recipe for them passing nothing. I doubt they care very much about that. But even a one-seat majority is what they need to be able to control the committees, launch investigations, and honestly, that's all they want anyway.
Hey there, I'm Jordan Schwartz, the instructor of Retirement Planning University, a holistic retirement planning course designed to give you an in-depth six of the most important aspects of a successful retirement. Over two nights. This did look like trouble at the time. This was the headline. Comey and McCabe, who infuriated Trump, both faced intensive IRS audits. Michael Schmidt at the New York Times reporting in July that of all the tens of millions of taxpayers in this country, somehow two of the people Donald Trump hated most got picked, supposedly at random, for an audit so invasive that tax lawyers joke about it as an autopsy without the benefit of death. That was the Times reporting back in July. Now, that already troubling story has gotten significantly worse. Trump's longest serving chief of staff, John Kelly, uh, the one you see holding the door for his boss here. Um, John Kelly now tells the New York Times that, yes, those, those audits were instigated because Trump asked for them. Quote, yes, Trump wanted IRS investigations of his foes. John Kelly telling reporter Michael Schmidt, quote, I would say it's inappropriate, it's illegal, it's against their integrity, and the IRS knows what it's doing, and it's not a good idea. Kelly says Trump responded, quote, yeah, but they're writing bad things about me. For the record, the former president is denying these allegations from John Kelly. A spokesperson for the former president called John Kelly today a psycho. <laughs> that was what the spokesperson said. He's a psycho. That's nice. Why'd you pick a psycho to be your longest serving chief of staff? <laughs> but this is a big deal um, and a potentially criminally big deal for anybody at the IRS who might have gone along with this kind of improper pressure. And also for Donald Trump, if he in fact asked for this sort of thing to be done. It is a federal crime for anyone, including the president, to request, even indirectly, an audit of anyone. It's against the law to abuse the power of the IRS in that way. If Trump asked for it, it's illegal. If Trump asked for it and the IRS then did it, it's illegal on a couple of different levels. When this story first emerged this when, summer, it appeared likely that the Treasury Department would investigate the issue. Uh, we're told tonight that a report from that Inspector General investigation is actually expected quite soon. If we get anything definite, we will let you know. But for now, you can add this new reporting on the potential criminal actions of abusing the power of the IRS. You can add that to the pile of legal worries that the former president has arrayed against him right now. Just today, he defied a lawful subpoena to testify to the January 6th investigation yeah, lock in him Congress. Up. Lock him the he fuck up. today remains in legal jeopardy in the state of Georgia, where a grand jury continues to investigate the effort to overturn the 2020 election results in that state. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp is reportedly testifying in that federal grand jury, excuse me, in that state grand jury criminal investigation tomorrow morning. Trump also remains in legal jeopardy over the classified documents he's alleged to have taken when he left the White House. Plus, his company is actively on trial right now in New York on criminal charges of fraud. Plus, the New York Attorney General is continuing a civil suit against that company for alleged fraud. And so, of course, in that propitious environment, Donald J. Trump has decided that tomorrow is the perfect day for him to announce that he's running again for president. <laughs> right, since everything well, else is going his way anyway, it. and people are just clamoring for his return. Oh, Nobody has ever declared a run for president, not just under a cloud, but enveloped in a suffocating fog of scandal, with legal jeopardy still unfolding across multiple states and jurisdictions. Nobody has ever 
announced a run for the presidency under those circumstances. But for whatever reason, that is apparently going to change tomorrow. Congratulations to us. Presidential history about to be made on our watch in the worst possible way. Uh, take, for instance, the race for the state house seat representing the 142nd legislative district in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I know you've been laser focused on it at home. That race is currently separated by 114 votes. But I'll tell you why that race has potentially national implications. Right now, Republicans have 100 seats in the Pennsylvania state legislature, Pennsylvania state house. Republicans have 100 seats. Democrats have 100 seats in the Pennsylvania State House. It is 100 to 100 in Pennsylvania right now. Pennsylvania Democrats have said that they are going to reclaim the Pennsylvania House, which I think would be the first time in more than a decade that they have been in control there. Uh, but there are three races left there to be called. One of them will be settled by a special election because the Democrat who won that seat handily last week had actually died before Election Day. That seat will likely go Democratic again. And there's that Bucks County race that's separated by 114 votes. Then there's a Montgomery County, Pennsylvania race, which is separated by 14 votes. Literally 14 votes. So partisan control of the Pennsylvania State House and all that means. Uh, it might change hands for the first time in, in 12 years. But it's going to come down to one race that's about 100 votes and one race that's about a dozen. Just in case you needed motivation to know that your vote really counts. <laughs> Human condition. Human condition. Former chief of staff levels another abuse of power accusation of Trump. Nice. Um. <clears throat> that must be the uh, must be the same dude who's being audited. A mother, a, a murder, a cover-up, and the true cost of silencing the press. Hmm. Catherine Corcoran. MAGA civil war. Cool. MAGA rages after. Midterms as Gen Z leads democracy to victory with Victor <laughs> Streamed 11 hours ago. This is Mars Touch. So welcome back to Just a Cabinet Show. Polyx at AF and Ancient History, yo. The Democrats kept control of the Senate. The yeah, blue yeah. wall held. But Good look, job, America. We still gotta win Georgia. And Senator Raphael Warnock winning is still critical, even though He's we already win. control it. We will explain why. Republicans, Republicans meanwhile, are in a, a full-fledged civil war with the different factions <gasps> of the party Kitty. attacking each other. Can even call it a party anymore, just like a weird cult. MAGA, Ultra MAGA, QAnon, all attacking each other. Sheesh! We break it down. Meanwhile, Trump is attacking everyone, the Republican Party, Mitch McConnell, Glenn Youngkin, Ron DeSantis, Paul Ryan. Trump is more unhinged than ever before, and that's kind of saying something. 
And the January 6th committee has responded to Trump's non-compliance with their subpoena to testify. Surprise, surprise, he didn't show. The tower doesn't show. Trump filed a lawsuit to try and block his testimony in the Southern District of Florida. And the January 6th committee said it will evaluate next steps. We'll see what happens, but I suspect Arrested. a contempt of Congress vote will Yay. happen soon. And our guest, I'm so excited about this interview, Victor She, the pro-democracy Gen the law, Z superstar who works as the strategy director job. of Voters of Tomorrow, a Gen Z-led organization that engages and represents youth and politics. And wow, did they represent for the midterms and brought it home for us geezers. Victor Just call us geezers? No, that's, we're like the OGs right now, like all of a sudden. These Gen Zers? They're, they're the ones who are doing it. I actually noticed I was getting some grays in the side of my hair today. So I think that's an I'm not even lying, Jordy. I don't know if yeah. you're joking or not. No, it's like, like the entire side of my head after the past week and a half. All gray. <laughs> like, I looked at the mirror. I was like, oh, damn. Now let me finish my intro. Victor, the co-host of podcast, high-gen politics with our friend, Jill Weinbanks. This and more of Brett, Jordy, and Ben talking about our gray hairs on the Midas Touch podcast. And as of the time of this live recording, it is still too close to call the Arizona governor's race, but Democrat Katie Hobbs is in a good position to become the next governor in a race against the election on, denier and MAGA extremist Kerry Lake, but more data is needed there. Brett and Jordy, how are you, how are you doing? I'm doing well, old geezer. I'm doing well, geezer. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm feeling really, I, you know, I'm I, I'm simultaneously as tired as I've ever been, just purely exhausted from lack of sleep and staying up and checking for results of these elections in the middle of the night, but, like, at the same time, super energized and excited and ready to go and feeling actually incredibly optimistic about our democracy. I mean, don't get me wrong. We have a lot to do. These are some truly deranged people that we are dealing with right now. But this blue wall that held is so important, and regardless of the outcome of these next elections, of what happens in the House, of what happens in Governor, I'm feeling very good about what's going to happen in Arizona, and we should have votes coming in possibly any minute, and we will bring it to you live. But I am feeling good about our democracy. I'm just super inspired, engaged, encouraged by all the activists out there who made this possible. All the Gen Z activists, all the women, everybody who knocked on doors, just so incredible. Everybody should take some ownership in this win. Y'all did it. Jordy, how are you doing? I'm feeling great, man. My sign's working today, so I don't have to worry about that. I'm glad I was able to get that up and running. And we're going to have a good show tonight, brothers. I'm pumped for this. I couldn't be more excited. So as I mentioned, the Arizona governor's race has still not been called. Um, Katie Hobbs is in the lead. Um, currently right now a lead of 50.6% of the votes for Hobbs and 49.4% for Lake Hobbs holds a 29,048 vote lead. And we should be getting more results from Maricopa County literally any minute, and if we do, we will let you know if we have a projection. Brett, where do we stand on the Senate? 
Um, of course, I said that we have control, but most importantly, where do, why is 51, though, so much more important than 50? And why does everybody really need to be focused right now on Georgia and not get complacent? Yeah, well, this is, you know, it's super important is, is the short answer, and I'll explain why. But this is our first show since the Democrats were officially declared the winners of the Senate. The Democrats will retain the Senate, so we should be incredibly thrilled about that. Currently, it stands at 50 seats for the Democrats and 49 for Republicans, of course, with that runoff election in Georgia between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. Um, looking forward to that. Feels like a little like deja vu from uh, the last elections going to a runoff in Georgia. But here here is why having this majority and having it be more than just a tiebreaker majority is important. First off, Mitch McConnell has been made irrelevant by the fact that we have 50 seats, but he goes into like complete irrelevance if we get that 51st seat because we won't have to answer, we don't have to enter any sort of power sharing agreement with Mitch McConnell. When the Senate is 50-50 despite the fact that the VP is the 51st vote to break ties on legislation, Everything else is kind of decided by the fact that it's an even chamber rather than the fact that it's not really considered a majority, despite the fact that we have that 51st vote. So it enables us to bypass Mitch completely right there. The Democrats also will be able to chair the Senate committees. Right now, you have this equal member, this equal number of Democrats to Republicans in these committees. You have uh, co-chairs between Republicans and Democrats. That goes away with the 51st senator there. It becomes a Democrat-controlled committee which is incredibly important. Of course, there's always the opportunity for there to be absences in the Senate. This protects ourselves if there is an absence in the Senate, having that extra vote. We get subpoena power. Think about that. We get subpoena power in the Senate, which is incredibly important. We don't know what's going to happen with the House. It will great, it'll be great to have a Senate with subpoena power. No need for the VP to break any sort of ties. And just think about what that means as far as actually being able to pass legislation. It's going to accelerate that process so much. And beyond legislation, it's going to accelerate one of the most important things, so one of the things that we have seen time and time again be important of this, and that is the confirmation process of judges. Do not underestimate the ability for us to appoint judges, competent judges, to actually follow the law, not these MAGA extremist judges, to the federal judiciary. This Senate lead, having 51 votes, makes that far more easier, a far more quicker process. And I've been seeing some actually quite interesting concepts of people floating around. I honestly don't know how viable these are, but I've heard some people proposing the idea of maybe if Democrats do narrowly lose the House, maybe you could fold over things like the January 6th committee into a pre-existing committee in the Senate and have those investigations go on in the Ooh. Senate. I think that's interesting. I need to look more into how that works, but I think that was an incredibly interesting idea that yeah, I've heard nice. tossed around. And plus, like. you know, think ahead. Senators have six-year terms. This is going to give Democrats an advantage heading into the next election cycle. I can't believe we already have to talk about the next election cycle, but it's true. Uh, we have that extra vote. Think about how narrow the margins are right here currently in the House, in the Senate. We are learning. This, if this election taught us anything. It's that every vote matters and every seat matters. And I don't care if you live in a red state or a blue state. 
I don't care if you are a red dot surrounded or a blue dot blue surrounded dot. by red. You need to get out and vote because every single vote and every single seat matters so much. And that's what this election is for. So we'll see what happens there and we'll keep everybody posted. And Brett, I want to talk about the judges for a minute. Fucker. This is from an August 9th, 2022 uh, Pew Research article. Uh, just how significant Biden's appointment has been. This is what it says. This is as of August of 2022. President Joe Biden has appointed more judges to the federal courts at this stage in his tenure than any president since John F. Kennedy. And his appointees include a record number of women and racial and ethnic minorities, according to Pew Research Center analysis of data from the Federal Judicial Center. As of August 8th, the first day of the U.S. Senate's August break, Biden has successfully appointed 75 judges to the three main tiers of the federal judicial system, the district courts, appeal courts, and U.S. Supreme Court. That's far more than the number appointed by Trump, 51, Barack Obama, 42, at the same stage in their presidency, and slightly more than the number appointed by several other recent presidents. Pretty big data right there. And Jordy, young voters really stepped up as well. What, what can you tell us about that? Is Jordy a geezer too? What'd you say? Is Jordy a geezer as well, or is he not? Is he has he is he below the geezer? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think I'm full. I'm, I'm fully right there. I told you I was getting my grades on my side too, man. <laughs> Gen Z, I'm so pumped about Gen Z. All I can tell you tell about, about Gen Z, man, and Brett. Overperformance <laughs> left and right, man. Yay. Nobody saw them coming. Everyone counted them out, especially these quote-unquote pollsters, these expert pollsters who just couldn't find the a way to actually pollsters. include them in their data. And so when you just totally discount such a large section of, of the population that's so motivated to go out there and vote, because ultimately what you've seen from these Republicans is just like anti-Gen Z mentality. Like they, they don't want to help them with their student relief debts. They're anti them in every step of the way, whether it comes to marijuana relief and, you know, abortion rights, which they've grown up thinking that that would never change for them. So to see the Republican, these ultra MAGA Republicans backing these policies that just so went against the grain for so many different communities, but I think especially Gen Z, and to see their complete overperformance. It's been amazing to watch. Not an overperformance. And then you talk about what the GOP is doing now in response to that. Jordy, there's calls from Republicans to raise the voting age and end early voting. Um, What else do you have there, Brett? You've got who's saying, yeah, Bridget Gabriel raised the voting age to 21. And that's just not unique to Bridget Gabriel, this MAGA influencer, whatever you want to say. Like, that's a mainstream policy that these people are pushing. But one thing I do like, though, is that the GOP, as a political party, I can even call this a political party, just like a weirdo cult. It's in complete disarray. And the factions, Brett, we got like Marjorie Taylor Greene is backing Kevin McCarthy because she wants power. And then you have Matt Gates saying he's not voting for McCarthy. And then you've got, you know, Ted Cruz just whining about how sad he is today. Ted Cruz did Midas a retweet today. That was a surprise. Yeah, because Ted Cruz only cares about his podcast. I think we need to pass it. Like, I think this, we could get fined this, maybe. A bipartisan law to ban politicians from being allowed to have podcasts. <laughs> Hopefully we can maybe even extend that to books, like I just all forms of media. I do not want to see these people because they end up caring 100% about their podcasts and getting their podcasts high in the ratings. 
so we posted a clip of Ted Cruz today of Ted Cruz saying, the rage I felt, the rage I felt, everybody, from these election results, the rage, I am enraged right now. And we played the clip. It was, you know, very <laughs> cathartic to hear Ted Cruz cry on this podcast. <laughs> we, 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 we posted it, Ted Cruz ended up retweeting it, and then he retweeted it with a comment saying, Thanks for um, re- thanks for posting my podcast. If anyone wants to hear the full episode, you can download it here. We <laughs> were making Absolutely. fun of him. He just didn't care. <laughs> no, he, he banned because he me. loves humiliation. It's just, it's just strange behavior. He loved it. He lives for it. He, I don't know what Sick. sort of mentality that brings, but it just goes to show you, man. The guy's a complete shell. He's, he's a loser. <laughs> Should we play the Ted Cruz clip, or maybe play even it, a little bit it. of it? Play the abbreviated version before I throw up, and then I'll play like a minute of it, and I'll cut it off. <laughs> and there are a lot of Americans that are going to be tuning in to you this morning, and they want to know who is to blame for this. There are a ton of people arguing over this right now. They're saying it's Mitch McConnell's fault. No, 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 it's Donald Trump's fault for picking candidates like Dr. Oz. Or, and then it's not even his fault, it's his wife's fault. And everybody's trying to figure out how do you put this in a box. Yeah, blame it, it on so Melania. Take on this. Stupid cunt. What happened? <laughs> how did this happen? And who's to blame for it? Hi. Well, Ben, let me start out by saying I am so pissed off I cannot even see straight. <laughs> we had an extraordinary opportunity. We had a generational a opportunity. This should have been a fundamental landslide election. Yeah. We should have won the House and the Senate. We should have a 30, 40, 50 vote majority in the House. We should have 53, 54, 55 Republicans in the Senate. And instead, holy crap... <laughs> The Democrats keep the Senate. Worse than that, the Democrats potentially grow their majority in the Senate. Worse than that, yes, we take the House, but at best we're going to take the House with a couple of seats. Maybe. There is an outside chance we lose the House. I don't think we will. I think the numbers are enough that we will hold on to the House. And I just say for our audio listeners, that was not Brett doing the impersonation. That was actually Ted Cruz. Okay. Brett, you're Ted Cruz. Wait, I'm working on it. I, first off, also like, why is Ted Cruz being interviewed on his own podcast? Like, that's Ted Cruz's podcast. He has someone come in on and interview him. Uh, just a I was really sticking me that the person. The moment so that the person's name was Ben, too, I was like, oh no, it just made it no, extra. Gross. No, but I, I just love. I, you know, I just love. Lindsey Graham, go on TV and cry. Ted Cruz, go complain when you're All these performative antics are the reason why you lost. And every there's like this circular firing squad happening right now in the Republican Party where you have, it's Ted Cruz's fault, it's Kevin McCarthy's fault, it's Donald Trump's fault, it's Fox News's fault. And they're all trying to get out in front to blame each other. You have Fox going, it's Trump, hey, look, it's all Trump, it was all Trump. You've got Trump yelling at them, you have, you have Ted Cruz yelling at them, you have people yelling at McCarthy. Dude, it's all of your fault. Like, all of you, are, <laughs> every single one of you are to blame. And this whole not living in reality, this whole crying on TV and these performative antics, this is exactly what the American people just rejected. So keep it up. Keep, keep this going. As I've said time and time again, they're going to continue to learn all the wrong lessons. The correct lesson, if you were a normal political party, an actual political party, you might go, you know what, maybe we should make our politics more friendly for Gen Z. Maybe we should be more inclusive. Maybe we should push out these conspiracy theorists. Again, that's not going to happen. 
That is not going to happen. This party became the Trump party because that's who this party is. That's who they have been for maybe decades, but at least leading back to the Tea Party, which is where a lot of these people rode into the Republican mm. Party on. This conspiratorial nature of the party goes back a long way, and they're going to continue to lean into it. And instead of changing their policies, they're going to try to change the system to ban early voting, to try to prevent Gen Z from going to the polls, to try to prevent mail-in voting. All they're going to try to do is to make the system more difficult and put up more barriers. So we need to stay on the offense, and we need to keep getting around them. But geez. And then they're going to say, that's freedom! Me taking away all of your freedoms! That's freedom! Yeah, that's Vladimir Putin you know, view of, of the way society should be run, but that's not what American freedom is. This is a tale of three videos, though, I want to play, which I think shows Ooh, a tale of three videos. Hopefully I've got them. You never know this. <laughs> the first, the Marjorie Taylor Greene today talking about the battle for the speakership and her saying that she would like a she civil war. She wants to be speaker to now. Do you have that, <laughs> that means we're going to fight it out. And I, I'm telling you, I've always said I'm not afraid of the civil war in the GOP. I lean into it. You want to know why? I want to do everything I can to do my part within our conference to force the Republican Party to be the party that is America first and saves this country. Leaning into it for her is Kevin McCarthy because she believes that'll give her a better position like it's entirely phony too like everything that they say is extreme and radical and horrible but the idea that she would support McCarthy who's a total loser and a total fraud in everything that he does you know that's one of the characteristics of it but this is the tale of video number two so we're one for one on video also let me just note then as well she said that on Steve Bannon's War Room podcast so you want to talk about not learning anything. She's right back on Steve Bannon's podcast doing this nonsense. They've learned nothing. Steve Bannon, who uh, a few months ago jail. said, we're going to win a hundred House seats and we are going to control the U.S. government forever. MAGA is stronger than ever. Yo, you guys got your ass handed to you. Okay, Ben, what's the next? <laughs> okay. Matt Gates saying that Kevin McCarthy will not be the speaker and he will vote against him. We have that clip? Who would those five who would those five people be? Well I, I think that they would be the people that reliably adhere to the promises that they make to their voters. I'm not here to like out or dox anybody. I'll let people make their own announcements in their own time. I'm making my announcement, which is that I'm not voting for Kevin McCarthy. I'm not voting for him tomorrow. I'm not voting for him on the floor. And I am certain that there is a critical mass of people who hold my precise view. And so the sooner we can sort of dispense with the notion that Kevin's going to be speaker, then we can get to the important work of actually looking at who are the people. Uh, I hate to see it. And uh, let me also, you know, let, let, let me reinforce this fact, which is that they need like every single vote. Kevin McCarthy needs every single vote basically in Oregon speaker you need a majority of, of voters in the house for that to happen and so he can't afford this inviting he can't afford to lose this one that's awesome and and once again Matt Gates there on Charlie Kirk's show Charlie Kirk who has been wrong about absolutely everything but I don't know Charlie Kirk I mean Charlie Kirk is like the most influential person him and Bannon of the party who are both the most extremist, radical, and just frankly like weirdo losers. Like you, you watch these people and you're like, 
who are these people? Like, where do these people even even come from? There is no intellectual substance. It's pure hate. They talk about how there shouldn't even be democracy. Like, you're like, where do these people even come from? Now I want to show you Fucking uh, Russia. Larry Hogan, the former China. governor of Maryland. Um, this is what he said over the weekend. Um, well, why don't we play the clip of him where he talks about well, everyone's saying that Trump was supposed to say he was going to win and we'd be so we'd win so much we wouldn't even know what to do with ourselves. But all Trump's done is lose. Like, can we look at this guy like the biggest loser? This is Republican Governor, former Republican Governor Larry Hogan. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And you know, Donald Trump you know, he kept saying, "And you know, we're going to be winning so much, we'll get tired of winning." I'm tired of losing. I mean, that's all he's done. Huh. So you don't think that this is just a blip and that Republicans will return to um, being, well, kind of still the party of Trump, but embracing the party of Trump because this time is different? You know, if you if you lose over and over again to what, what's really not that great of a team, um, you've got to reassess, <laughs> is it time to rebuild, and you have to go back and think, uh, how do we have a, a more hopeful, positive vision? How do we appeal to a broader group of voters? Because... Yeah, in some cases, we fired up the base, but we turned off well, lots, you can wide swaths of Start by stop hating. That's why we didn't perform. Everybody but the white man. By the way, Larry Hogan was the governor of Maryland for two terms, starting in 2015. In a Democratic state, he was a fairly moderate Republican. And the person who the Republicans nominated to run was Dan Cox, a MAGA extremist election denier. And the Democrats elected Wes Moore. Who won by with sixty superstar? Who won with sixty-two point two percent of the votes in Maryland? Like absolutely crushed Dan Cox. And let me make this point as well: the people who are going to be the loudest on the Republican side, and the people who are going to keep girl. them. So make the Republican Party so repulsive to voters and keep them that way. But the people who have made them so repulsive to voters so far. These are all people, for the most part, who are in safest districts Do not have to worry about competition whatsoever. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene, like we saw in this election, she doesn't have to, like, no matter who runs against her, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't run people against her, we should be fighting in every district, but no matter who runs against her, Marjorie has a safe seat. So she could be as crazy as she wants. She doesn't have to worry about that sort of thing. But when you have a country that is much more moderate, much more in the middle than that, these people are going to lead the Republican Party down the exact wrong path away from voters. And I welcome. That's why on this show we've always highlighted Republican extremism. And we've always highlighted how this Republican extremism is not just some random person we found on the street who's a little crazy and identifies as a Republican, but the power center of the Republican Party and the people guiding the Republican Party, the people making decisions in the Republican Party are the extremists. And if they continue to listen to them, which it appears like they do with this handshake deal between Marjorie Taylor Greene and Kevin McCarthy, apparently, and they are setting themselves up for some massive, massive failure down the line. Point, and, and, and Jordy, did you know this, that in 2018, Democrats lost the Arizona governor's race by 15 points. So the fact that it looks like Katie Hobbs is going to win and a Democrat's going to win in Arizona, where in 2018... Doug Ducey, the Republican, won by 15 points, just tells you what what independents and former Republicans 
and non-affiliated, you know, political people are looking and saying, who, who is this? This Carrie Lake is just talking about, and Carrie Lake's pitch is, I'm going to destroy you and make your lives miserable, and I am going to make sure the 2020 election is overturned, and she does that thing, and Saturday Night Live pointed it out great, where she has those weird filters on the Zoom, and all she, and all she does is talk about, like, I'm going to destroy your life. Your life is going to be destroyed. <laughs> like, who reacts to that thing and goes, and goes, yeah, that's, that's the positive, hopeful message that I'm looking to... Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Well, Republicans still voted for that shit. And were like, they were like, oh my goodness. Because they want a banger. Okay. You know, maybe that... No, I'm not going to vote for her. She's a lunatic. I just realized something real quick. Quick observation. I got the entire red wave right here in this cup. <laughs> and then meanwhile trump is also attacking everybody he's saying and it's like his messages are so weird he's like glenn youngkin and he spells it like young space kin and he's like well that sounds chinese and glenn youngkin's a horrible person like, what are you what, what what are these these are the rantings and ravings of a lunatic he's calling ron DeSantis, ron day sanctimonious the better nickname would be ron Disastrous. Can I coin that? Ron Disastrous is a far better nickname than Ron DeSanctimonious. I want to put down Jordan. You have a smite. Ron Disastrous? It's, it's solid. I, I still think they're both long. I think you just go like Ron DeFraud. Like, I don't think you even have to really include his name. Uh, we'll workshop like, it. We'll workshop, we'll workshop it. it. We'll figure it out. So, Ron Disastrous, I like. And the January 6th committee, meanwhile, has responded with Trump's non compliance uh, to their subpoena. So, Trump was supposed to testify today um but trump filed a lawsuit on friday it's got a he's got 500 lawsuits because he's afraid to testify and he grips all the money from his political action committee so that he could hide because so he could hide because he's a freaking coward so he doesn't have to testify like most of his lawsuits are avoiding You're to try to testify fraud. And he speaks this big game, I'm such a tough guy, I'm such a tough person. I mean, dude, Hillary Clinton sat in front of the Benghazi panel for 12 hours, answered every question, didn't plead the fifth. Trump runs away from all of these things. I mean, heck, the Letitia James, Attorney General of New York case, where she sued Trump for fraudulent valuations of his properties, Brett, he got asked the easiest questions. The questions were, well, so your valuation of this property was X, but the appraisal is Y. Can you explain that? I plead the fifth. Okay, well, 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 why did you say the value of Mar-a-Lago was this? Wouldn't he yeah. say, cost on greatest businessman? I plead the fifth. You plead the fifth when you're asked what's the value of a property? He pleads the fifth on every single okay. question. So even though Alina Haba went on TV and she was like, I think he's going to testify. I think he should testify because he has nothing to hide. I knew. That's my Alina Haba impression. By it's a good impression. Um, Thank you. Um, I knew, everyone knew he wasn't actually going to testify. He's too big of a coward. So he filed the lawsuit on, I think it was Friday, right before the weekend, um, trying to block his testimony. And his point is, and he relies on like this like letter from like Harry Truman that's not even really relevant to an issue here. And he goes, a president should never have to testify. And it's like, dude, you're not the president. <laughs> you're a former president. And there's actually a history of former presidents not just testifying, before Congress, but also saying that they are just but a regular citizen after they're the president. And so that's his basic argument. It's a separation of powers. 
He should never be questioned on anything that he does. He filed the lawsuit to block it. Pull up the statement now from the January 6th committee that they just put out. It said, former President Trump. And I like the way they start off with that, right? Like, this guy's not the president. Former President Trump has refused to comply with the select committee subpoena requiring to appear for deposition. His attorneys have made no attempt to negotiate an appearance, and his lawsuit arranged out many of the same arguments that courts have rejected repeatedly. Donald Trump orchestrated a scheme to overturn a presidential election and block the transfer of power. He is obligated to provide answers to the American people. The committee will evaluate next steps in the litigation and regarding Welcome the, the fuck up, idiots. non-compliance. An interesting ruling out of the D.C. District Court, though, by a Trump-appointed judge, Carl Nichols, when Mark Meadows sued the January 6th committee, um, was that he didn't have jurisdiction. The judge didn't have jurisdiction under the speech and debate clause, that he actually had no right, Meadows, to even sue the January 6th committee. So there was an interesting separation of powers argument there that the January 6th committee was well within its rights to issue the subpoena, and you really can't sue him for injunctive relief. So I wonder if that argument comes up, or if the January 6th committee is just going to argue strictly that there is no claim of executive privilege or executive immunity of former presidents. Um, but that's going to be litigated, and ultimately, Brett, to your point, what would be very helpful and it's an interesting concept that we should explore. Can you transfer over the duties and responsibilities from the House that Democrats can hold to the Senate? Really, so that's incompetent. And, and, and what I, the midterms have demonstrated, though, is also how effective the January 6th committee is and how effective pro-democracy messages are, don't you think? No, absolutely. I mean, I think when people came out, you know, one of the things that we were wondering, and I think that a lot of the pundit class and, and people out there, they kept emphasizing that democracy was far too ambiguous of a topic for voters to wrap their head around. The voters don't care about democracy. They're, they care about inflation. They care about crime. They care about gas prices. Democracy, they don't need democracy. And I think what we saw in these elections was that actually... Uh, voters do care about democracy quite a bit. I mean, you're seeing all these election deniers go down, all these election deniers who ran for Secretary of State losing in a big way, even when other races on that ticket were very close, the election deniers lost. And I think you're seeing a surprise, I mean, you're still seeing the the craziness that's happening from the right as far as, you know, election fraud, but, but you feel like the mainstream of the Republican Party right now, the people with the loudest megaphones are trying to shut those voices up at least and aren't taking them as seriously, um, which I think is actually, uh, you know, an, an interesting twist to this election. Because, you know, if Trump were president and stuff, they'd be going on TV nonstop. Fraud! It's a fraud! It's a scam! It's a fraud! And now that's sort of relegated to, like, these crazy people on Twitter who get to live in their bubble and do whatever they want to do. Jordy? No, it's such an excellent point. I just wanted to chime in real quickly, but you guys were in a row when we were making fun of Trump for pleading the fifth. All I just wanted to say was, it's just so on brand that he was the 45th president. What do you guys think about that? Can, can you explain the joke? Fifth, 45th, please the fifth a lot. So that's the, that's the whole crux of that joke. Yeah, no, I, okay. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we'll workshop that too, Jordy. We've we got, we got to workshop it. I mean, maybe, Jordy, the best place to workshop is not live in front of hundreds of thousands of people who watch this, but we, we, we could workshop jokes like that offline. And one of the things I like to... Uh, 
workshop as well. And by the way, I do want to bring in Victor Xi. I'm excited to bring in Victor Xi. But one thing I want to mention before bringing in Victor Xi is talking about workshopping, Jordan. Sometimes I got to workshop this physique because, as you know, I'm not as strong as these Gen Zers. You know, I go for the runs that I take outside. And sometimes my knees hurt, my, my elbows hurt. You know, true story. And if joint discomfort is keeping you from being as active as you once were, as that happens to me, for fast and powerful relief, joint relief, try Instaflex Advanced. Instaflex Advanced targets the root cause of joint discomfort with one little pill per day. It contains a, a unique combination of five key ingredients found in no other product in the world. It restores flexibility and mobility to your knee and other painful joints with just one capsule per day. And what I love about it is it targets the root of joint soreness, stiffness, and discomfort. It doesn't just cover up the symptoms, and that's something that I really need. Now, get a complimentary two-week sample of Instaflex Advance when you text MIDAS to 42424. MIDAS, M-E-I-D-A-S, to 42424. Plus, get a free gift of Instaflex Advanced Pain Cream with its exclusive oxygenated oil for fast-acting relief from the pain of arthritis, back aches, and sore muscles. Absolutely free. Text now and receive a complimentary two-week supply of Instaflex Advanced Joint Support for men and women with five key ingredients to help you turn back the clock. So text MIDAS, M-E-I-D-A-S, to 42424, that's text MIDAS, to 42424, MIDAS, 42424. Also want to mention our Patreon site, shout out to the MIDAS Patreon. We're almost now at 3,000 patrons. Go to patreon.com slash MIDAS. I think we know totally now the importance Thanks, of independent media more than ever, and the importance to amplify voices like Gen Z voices that we did here, and like the actual political strategists who are accurate with the polling data. And look, we're not funded by any millionaires or billionaires. We have no outside investors. So we're only accountable to you. We rely 100% on your generosity. Wherever you are in the world, go to patreon.com slash Midas Touch. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Midas Touch. There's lots of exclusive content there, exclusive Q&A sessions, exclusive podcasts. There's even a tier where you could become an honorary producer and your name appears at the end of the Midas Touch podcast and get posters and postcards and so much more, but most importantly, help grow this independent media channel. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Midas Touch. And now let's bring in our interview with Victor. Hold on, hold on. Let me say one more thing first because I got I to gotta top Jordy's joke. Jordy, put your wine glass up for a sec. Jordy's not drinking red wine. He's drinking red wine. I, 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 I think that's also a potential new product. I might just be dropping it here right oh, now. Oh, that's we gotta so good. Wake we got to do that right red away. Red wine. Uh, none of y'all steal it. No one steal that idea. No one steal it. Copyrighted. <laughs> we just copyrighted. Red I just copyrighted. copyrighted. All, all, <laughs> all right. Our interview with Victor Shee. Have you ever spent hours online shopping for an item you want? No. Nope. Mood Sense is here to help you save serious nope. time and money. 
Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. We are joined by Victor She, the strategy director of Voters of Tomorrow, which is a Gen Z-led organization that engages and represents youth and politics and crushed it during the 2022 midterms. Victor was also the youngest elected delegate for Joe Biden in 2020. He's a writer, a speaker, an organizer, a Gen Z activist, and a podcast co-host of iGen Politics, and a former White House and DNC intern, and I should mention, a UCLA student. Victor, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. Should I mention at the outset, though, Victor, that I am a professor at USC Law School. I don't know if that gets us all. <laughs> and then I'm an alumnus from USC, so I'm okay. not going to mention that now. I'm not going to use this time to mention that I went to USC now. Are you doing well? I'm not going to start the interview off like The rivalry is real, but as long as it doesn't involve football, I don't care. Well, the colors of UCLA are blue. There was a blue wall that held this midterms, and... You know, leading up to the election, leading up to the midterms, the media had written Gen Z off. You know, the media had 